really lucky. Um, I guess making up for some of the missed days in December. Two podcast episodes today. I'll post this one first, and then um, Bethany and I doing our Friday thing. Uh, short version as she went through a uh, she went through not COVID hell, COVID Omicron hell. Um, triple jab, but still got it pretty hard. And obviously her daughter, who was 15 months old, cannot be vaccinated. So that story in uh, in part two in a second podcast episode later on. Right now, uh, a guy whose work I've read for a long, long time um, has never followed me on Twitter until yesterday. I asked my friend Mary Billu as far as long ago as like a year to get me David Briggs, uh, the sports columnist for The Blade, because I, I, I'm a big fan of his work. He is an excellent writer. He can turn a phrase. Uh, I was going to say his pen is magical, but I guess it's his left. His mind is magical with the words he can put in front of us. Um, lots of, after I kind of get David's origin story, um, Mary was able to reconnect us a couple of days ago and finally could make this happen this time with David. Uh, after we get his origin story and some details about the Port Clinton coach that he wrote a great story on, um, lots and lots of Michigan and Ohio State talk. So we dive into that right now. Uh, it took me too long to get him. I put all the blame on him. David Briggs from the Blade. Let me just start by saying... Um, I'll give you something that I, I used to get before there were pictures on the internet of or in voices. You uh, you don't sound like I expected you to sound from your pictures. <laughs> My picture's about 10 years old, and uh, and it looks like I'm about 10 years old in the picture too, so need to get that updated at some point. No, at this point, it, it's just how we all, how I recognize you. Like I like <laughs> I like the grainy Zapruder aspect of it. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, I uh, I want to ask you because I don't I know very little about you, and unfortunately, um, I don't have much of your recent work to draw on. But I've got a, a snapshot of who you are. So let me uh, before I ask you about yourself, let me um, thank you. Well, compliment you, but thank you for doing that story about uh, about Bo Carmen, um, the Port Clinton coach, because. My radar went up last week when I saw that he was stepping down. Um, I know they had, of our area teams, the longest run in the playoffs. He was really successful and uh, a year younger than me. So either something awful and maybe heinous happened or what actually what it actually was, what happened. And he was just burning himself out. So thanks for doing that. Can you speak a little bit about your your discussion with him because and, and put some uh, inflection behind the great story that you wrote. Yeah, well, no, I appreciate that. And I appreciate, you know, Bo Carmen for his insight and honesty and to, uh, you know, just kind of a, you know, we kind of glamorize the, the big name, you know, millionaire NFL and college head coaches for, you know, we kind of glamorize the, the burning the candle on both ends lifestyle. It's just, you know, it seems it's almost part of the job for, uh, for coaches to, uh, can, I, can you hear me all right, Eric? I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, we're good. Okay, I thought heard some rustle. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, it, yeah, like I said, we kind of glamorize the the NFL head coaches and the college head coaches for working those 120 hour weeks. And, and hey, maybe maybe they're able to find balance. Maybe they're not. But hey, they're getting paid all that money. I think it's interesting to look at you know a high school coach. You think of it. We all know how much high school football matters in Ohio, but at the same time, it's still an extracurricular activity. These high school coaches all have day jobs, most of them at least. Um, you know, they're health teachers, science teachers, math teachers, and and they're getting paid a few thousand dollars um, as a stipend to, to coach uh, football as well. Although, as, as Bo Carmen, the highly successful 41-year-old coach at Port Clinton, could tell you, it's certainly anything but a part-time job. Even in the best of times, it's a, a very demanding job. You know, you feel like you're, you're, playing, you're, you're doing the job for the, your student-athletes, for your, your community. You know, in these small Ohio towns, you know, football is just such a point of civic pride. And, and I, can, uh, I can see how, you know, when you're, you're just shouldering this, this burden, um, and a burden's not the right word necessarily, but you know, it's, you're looking at Bo Carmen. He's, a he's just a very, a very intense guy. And when you're looking at, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, he was, he was telling me that 
even though this is his his side job, the you know the, the job you're you're only getting paid a few thousand dollars for, that was what consumed his entire his entire life the last couple of years. Just that constant fear of failure and fear of letting his kids down, fear of letting the community down, fear of letting his coaches down. And it's just this. I know he's he mentioned he had he's battled anxiety in the past, um, and uh, he's he's very open about that. And you know it it, it was almost like the more he won the more pressure he continued to put on himself. So while on the outside, it looked like the dream season for Port Clinton this year, and it was the best season in Port Clinton history. 13 wins, going to the state semifinals, town rallying behind this awesome team. Um, You know, this was the worst season for him, you know, personally, just in the sense of just, uh, you know, he said, you know, just can't, couldn't, couldn't focus on anything but football you know even when he was with his family or teaching all he can think about is winning and he knows it's about so much more than that it's about developing these kids it's about relationships it's about life lessons all that stuff and you know I was just thinking okay what what plays am I going to run how am I going to design practice what's uh how am I going to get everybody into the weight room um for Saturday conditioning or, or workouts and just <laughs> it just it just couldn't just could not turn it off in his head and, um, you know, as mentioned in the story, it kind of reached a boiling point late in the season when, you know, one day during class, um, he's a middle school health teacher. Actually, I think it was during his lunch period, he just kind of start started to feel overwhelmed. His chest started to tighten, his chest started to hurt, started to feel lightheaded. And um, that's kind of when the, uh, the, what he could sense was happening kind of boiled over and he went to the ER and lo and behold his his um his blood pressure was was through the roof I, I forget exactly what it was, I, it was I, I, 214 over 135 <laughs> two thir- 214 over 135 and yeah as people know that's a that's not good that's a it's qualified as a designated as a hypertensive emergency get to the ER immediately and um the doctors ran all these tests they said hey nothing's wrong with you and um but of course he knew exactly what was wrong and he uh he told me you know football was literally killing me and it's just um it, it was purely the the stress of the season and just not being able to turn his mind off um so he uh he, he did go on changed his anxiety med- medication a little bit um went on blood pressure medication never had blood pressure issues in his life before that very healthy former college athlete but Changed his anxiety medication, went on blood pressure medication, and was able to make it through the end of the season. He said he would have had to keel over to to not be there for the kids um, the rest of that season, but he knew it was time. Even though he's a, you know, looks like a fit forty-one-year-old guy with with you know all the success in the world at the high school level. You know, sometimes there's there's more than meets the eye, and you know he had the strength and and courage really to to share his story and and uh, and step away, knowing what was best for for his mental health for his physical health, for his family, just to kind of find that balance again. And, uh, and yeah, no, it's uh, Bo's, Bo Carmen's, uh, it's a, it's a good story in the end, I hope. Um, a couple of, a couple of things struck me from all of that. Um, when you were talking about where the pressure was coming from, the word celebrity jumped out at me. Do you, do you get the sense he might've felt, uh, he, he was maybe treated a little bit like a, a celebrity. It's different from, uh, a Whitmer coach or a central coach because you're talking about a smaller town and I could see how like what you were describing sounds a little bit like celebrity to me. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah. I, in a lot of towns, I grew up in one, not a, not quite a small town, but I grew up in Avon Lake and football is huge. I mean, the coach of the football team in a town like that is the biggest figure in town. It's not the mayor. It's not the, not the, top city councilman or the basketball coach it's the head football coach i mean they're kind of the the point just like in ohio whoever's coaching ohio state football is kind of the most popular or depending on if they're not having success uh the other way i mean they're kind of the most prominent figure in the state even more than the governor i mean you look at urban meyer i don't think anybody would suggest he wasn't the most prominent figure in the state when they were winning big and it's just it's amplified on the the small town level when you're when you're having success in a small town I mean, absolutely, kind of a take on a larger than life stature, and and it, it's interesting. You would you would think you know you would feel more pressure if you weren't having that success, but as the the wins keep piling up, and and you kind of can sense the that ultimate prize at the end of the road, and everybody's counting on you and excited and saying, "Way to go, coach! You're, you make us so proud." 
I think there is, uh, you, you can kind of get sucked up into that and, and feel like the, the weight of the world is on you. And when in reality, when you look at it logically from a, from a distance, you know, Bo Carmen would be the first to tell you, that's crazy. I've got a wonderful wife, three kids, a job I love teaching, teaching uh, middle school. And, and yet here's this extracurricular job that's running my life. Yeah, it becomes like an idea or this monolithic event in your life. And it kind of gets away from you in, in exactly how you explained it. Um, you have you write with beautiful prose. We'll, we'll, we're going to talk about some college football stuff, but I saw in something yesterday you warned Ryan Day not to go one and two <laughs> against Michigan. It was a great line. Um, so I'm going to get to that stuff later on. But um, I'm kind of surprised now that you say that he was a health teacher. You didn't work in the irony of maybe his, his failing health in some ways right. with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, he was the first to tell you that he knew, he could feel it. He could sense something was wrong um, mentally, just in terms of never being, not being present in, uh, in daily life other than, other than, you know, just thinking about football all the time. But he could, he could feel it kind of coming on physically as well. And, and even, even before he had that final episode that was the final alarm with the, the blood pressure incident, I think he, he, he said he told, talked to the athletic director, the superintendent, quietly told his coaches, Hey, I think this is it. I don't, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. Um, yeah. And, having uh, a, yeah, absolutely. Having a, a heart issue or the, the hypertension issue, having health issues as the health teacher is like, is like the history teacher, not knowing anything about the civil war. Right. A little hyperbolic, no. but the irony <laughs> of that I'm glad he's okay. And thanks for sharing his story because, um, I went through, we, we work in similar businesses and you've probably had moments like this where, um, and I do want to ask you about your background where like the passion becomes a punishment because you just get so enveloped in it because we, we got into this because we love what we do. You love telling stories. I love, I love music. I love podcasting now. Um, but don't, don't let your passion become a, a prison. And, and that, that happened. And I'm glad he was brave enough, especially the character that he had become and what he'd accomplished. He was courageous enough right. and selfish enough to step away for his own health. No question. Took a lot of strength to do that when, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would have just plowed through. And um, so let's uh, let's switch up here. Tell me about yourself because I know nothing about you except you're you're an, you're a great writer. You're now like the longest tenured person at the Blade. Um, <laughs> you avoided me for a long time. You just followed me on Twitter, and and again the the grainy f- photo for your uh, for your avatar. So tell me about David Briggs. Oh, I've always been a fan from afar. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, well, I sorry, just going back. You know, I grew up in Connecticut, actually, and then moved, moved to Ohio when I was 10 or 11. Um, my father was a, a reporter, so that's certainly um, why I got into it in general. Um, he was actually a, a religion reporter, um, first at the Associated Press, national writer, and then came to uh, the Plain Dealer. Um, I was not a religion reporter, although did did go to college to cover Ohio State football, so I guess it's one and the same. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. But um, but yeah, so I, I go to Ohio State, kind of obviously have a, a love of writing, a love of reading, and a love of sports, so I kind of combine all that, um, cover Ohio State football um, for the student newspaper at Ohio State, the Lantern, covered uh, covered the team actually for, for yeah, 2005, 2006. Um then I go out to uh, Columbia, Missouri, first job out of college, um, covering University of Missouri athletics. And, uh, you know, for the Toledo connection, we had Gary, Gary Pinkle out there yeah. as the Missouri coach, obviously the just inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, along with Chuck Ely and several others. Um, Gary Pinkle, the all-time wins leader at two schools, Toledo and Missouri, so certainly, uh, certainly a legend. But anyway, yeah, from 2008 to uh, early in 2012 was, uh, was covering, yeah, just all the, all the sports at the University of Missouri for the for the college town paper there certainly a, a good uh, good good taste of uh, of the business um, and then was able to come back to Ohio early 2012 right when Urban Meyer gets to Ohio State uh, Toledo Blade has a Blade has a job opening covering Ohio State football and I uh, fortunate enough to get the job covered Ohio State football for for five years for the Blade and then. Uh, after the great Dave Hackenberg, my predecessor in this columnist role at the Blade, retired, 
um, was able to follow him and still leaning on hack a lot. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been the last five five uh, God five plus years now that have uh, been the the columnist and uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a rewarding rewarding journey and a, a great great community and yeah, it's been a it's been a fun ride. Have you always been a sports fan? Tell me about your passions for sports growing up as a kid. Maybe some mer- memories that you'll that are indelible in your mind. Oh sure, yeah. Always a always a huge sports fan. Started off, um, yeah. Always would. Uh, yeah, my dad worked in New York City, so would always go to uh, games here and there at Madison Square Garden, Yankee Stadium. He's a big Dodgers fan. Would always go see the Dodgers at Shea Stadium, um, Giants games. Um, so yeah, kind of grew up around that, and then moved when we moved to the Cleveland area. Thought it was awesome to uh, you know to be right there next to next to three pro teams um, and uh, and then just moving to a, you know, a community or a football mad state, a football mad town. And, and um, yeah, it's kind of always, always loved, always loved sports, always loved the competition, always loved the drama as a sports writer, love the stories, um, love the, especially love Toledo as a sports fan, just cause we're kind of on the, on the border of, of everything. I mean, there's not a better, not a better rivalry city in the country when you look at we're right in between Cleveland and Detroit half and half and then right in, and then you got Bowling Green Toledo and of course Ohio State and Michigan I don't think yep. there's a I don't think there's a more divided market in the country um in term pro college it's just uh it's hard in a way because you never know you know you're, you're kind of writing for for different audiences each time some people are such huge Ohio State fans that they can't even stand the sight of a, a Michigan story or column and, and vice versa. So it's never, uh, you're never really, if you work for the Columbus Dispatch, you know, everyone is going to love the same exact things. Right. Um, you're, or ev- if, uh, here it's obviously very different. So everything, everything you write is probably, when it comes to Michigan and Ohio State, is probably reviled by everyone because if you're if it's an Ohio State-centric story, the Michigan people hate it, but the Ohio State fans are probably like, this guy's nuts. He, he's not writing well enough about our... About our I mean, right, right. It's whenever... <laughs> I, so I did... Um, I've always loved sports my whole life. I started doing sports talk radio in 2008 or nine. Went to Detroit and did it for a little bit there and, and then did it a little bit here and then said I'm never doing it again because it just got too toxic um people would say who what team has the the worst fans and i'd say college football they're like give me a, a yeah. the team like no like all of college football it's insane and you have to deal with a lot of that oh yeah no, no question i mean the tribalism is is both awesome and as you said insane i mean it's uh people yeah it's especially writing here and i i did go to ohio state which people will never let you forget if, uh, if you're a Michigan guy. But yeah, I mean, I've been accused of being a huge Ohio State homer, a huge Ohio State hater, a huge Michigan homer, and just an all-time Michigan hater. Um, so yeah, you get you get everything. And uh, yeah, it's, it, uh, it makes it fun. I think Joe Buck might have said once where he like really played into the fact that he he thought every fan or every fan base hated him. Um, he's like, that means I'm doing a good job. If they all hate me, <laughs> and that's got to be like like what you said. Let, let me right. ask you one more professional question. Then uh, then we can talk sports. Um, I wanted to do the the business stuff before we got into the weeds of sports stuff. Um, how have you been able, or was there a point where growing up as somebody who paid money to Ohio State um, and and did lots of things Ohio State and was probably a a Buckeye in many ways. How were you able to become uh, as objective as you needed to be uh, to write about them? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, a lot of people, certainly a lot of people go on to cover the schools they went to. Actually, that's the, if you look at a majority of the beats, whether it's Michigan, Ohio State, or Missouri, most of the beat writers covering your favorite team are did go to school there um just because just it's the way of life you, you kind of tend to hang around where uh, where you went um but yeah it's a good question obviously growing up in ohio you you're an ohio state fan um i ended up going to ohio state kind of starts to tail off once you once i started covering it for the lantern just because you see these you know you start to get to know the people involved and and um and uh and you know good people but it's just kind of just a different relationship when it's uh in that in that business sense um 
Um, and yeah, it just you just kind of I, I don't know you don't become numb to it because there's nothing more exciting than uh, you know a huge Ohio State or a huge Michigan game, and you know it's a, such a privilege every year to cover the Ohio State Michigan game that'll never get old. So I don't know it's a, it's not you're not a fan, you're, but you're still not a fan of this team, but you're still a huge fan of the sport and a huge fan of the the passion that that makes Ohio State fans great and and Michigan too. But yeah, I don't, there's no good answer to it. It just kind of gets beaten out of you. You know, you once you report on enough bad news and scandals and and everything uh, behind the scenes that uh, that you that uh, you don't want to hear about as a fan. And uh, I don't know, it's just kind of you're able to kind of see it from uh, twenty thousand feet as you go on. I I remember the moments when it happened to me when I went because I remember um, my dad and I were just talking the other day because um, the the most devastating loss in my life. As, as an adult that I remember was when um, the Buccaneers went into Philadelphia for the NFC Championship game in 2003. Last oh, yeah. game at the awful Veterans Stadium and it was over in like two passes and it was devastating. It broke my heart. Um, and I remember several years later as I was fortunate enough to get in sports talk radio and, and do that, I, I felt I needed to be objective. And then people that were you know engaging with me as a host or whatever, it was like, you guys are all wrong and maniacal. Like, you know, you're, you're letting wins and losses like dictate your, your mood every day. I'm like, I don't want to be like that anymore. And somehow I was able to switch it off. Um, so now when it comes to my, my fandom, I root for my friends to, uh, for my friends teams because I know they enjoy it when the, when the Tigers win or when the Lions can have probably the most successful three win season in the history of the franchise or the NFL or, or whatever else. When the Pistons get the number one pick. Um, I root for them to enjoy their teams because I know how awful it is when when the bad times strike. Yeah, no, for sure, and that's a good point. I mean, it's almost impossible to do your job if you were if you were. Uh, it's the same reason why I don't. I would never gamble on a game I cover. I actually don't really gamble. Period. But I can't imagine, you know, uh, being on deadline, being emotionally invested in the outcome of the game. It's hard enough to you know form your thoughts on. Uh, you know, after a, after a game and to, to be a huge fan or to have a lot of money riding on the game. I just can't, I can't imagine that. So yeah, it's just certainly, certainly would never affect my mood one way or the other, um, the outcome. And there's certainly, you know, there's times with, with our local teams, you know, if, if BG or, or Toledo made the NCAA basketball tournament. Yeah, of course I'd be thrilled. I mean, I'd be thrilled for our community and yep. and thrilled for thrilled for everybody. It'd be an awesome and you root for yourself too. I mean, it'd be an awesome story to cover. Yep. Um so yeah, I'd be happy and and bummed if bummed if they lost um when you get that close, but but um yeah, I mean on but on the whole, I mean, you just kind of have to you just kind of have to be removed from the emotional part of it. Um your is that your phone ringing or your doorbell? I think it's my phone. Jesus. Um, <laughs> you, if you're uh, moving around a bunch, I hear a lot of rustling. Could you rustle less? <laughs> yes, I'm, rustling. I'm picking all that up. I actually, I forgot. I have one more professional question. Then the the angry yelling sports stuff. Um, how did you become? I, I think you're an excellent writer. Like I said, your your prose is is top notch. How you can turn a phrase is is a gift. Um, it took me a long time to kind of be who I am as a personality. And people were like, how do you go talk in front of people? I'm like, I don't know. I just, it was, I was comfortable. And then you do it a bunch. How did you always kind of have a gift for writing? How did you have great professors at Ohio State? Tell me about how your, your craft came of age. I don't know. And you, and you can never tell, <laughs> you can never tell about your, uh, your own. I mean, everybody, obviously, I'm sure you have these same feelings. You're always your own worst critic. You're always insecure about, uh, I mean, you never think what you do is, uh, is good enough or the, or, uh, and you're never satisfied with a, honestly, you're never satisfied with any story you turn in. Cause they're always, can always go back and look at it and think, uh, there are things could have done better, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think just with any writer, um, you know, you just kind of find your voice from, from reading a million different things. I grew up reading the, you know, the tabloids in New York city, just couldn't get enough, like even eight, nine, 10 years old, just reading the New York post, reading the New York daily news, just reading every story in the sports section, reading the columnists, um, and just kind of growing up and then, and then you just have to start writing. I, I don't know if there's any other way. I mean, I'm sure that my voice 20 years ago was, was completely different than it is now. I mean, you just kind of just write millions, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of words. And, and over time, it just, uh, it just kind of, it just kind of develops. I mean, you can't, there's no other way to do it besides, uh, besides 
practicing it and uh, and just keep doing it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you ever truly find the the voice uh, that you want. But yeah, it's just uh, I don't know. It's just a the ultimate labor of love. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, everybody else who doesn't want to hear about sports stuff, you can now leave. Thanks for listening to David Briggs. Read his stuff at The Blade. <laughs> Remember, you don't have to support the blocks, but you have to support the people that work who give us lo- great local news like David. All right, leave now. Okay, so you brought up an incredible point yesterday that I had not thought about because when the Harbaugh rumors popped up that something with him with the NFL, and I don't want to be more clear than that because it's it's so much smoke this time of year. Um, you brought up a great point that he may just be leveraging Michigan because um, I'm sure there were plenty of Michigan fans, um, and I, I, I actually... I prefer my Ohio State fan friends rather than Michigan fan friends. There was a lot of entitlement there for a while. They struggled to really get where they were this year, but I was very happy after they had some humble pie that they could enjoy this great season. Um, That was maybe a surprise, especially after how bad last year was, even in the pandemic year. And then people were probably panicked that, like, you mean Harbaugh could leave? Um, Can you discuss that, how that actually might not be the case? Yeah, it's really fascinating to to see the flip. I mean, all this. I mean, eighty percent of the same fans that that are praying that he comes back were the same ones that wanted him fired last year. Yup. <laughs> and to be yeah, and to be completely fair, you know why the hell wouldn't they have wanted him fired? I mean, but no, I mean it, it is it is very interesting. I mean, you look at you look at the uh, the roller coaster ride of of Harbaugh's tenure. Um, you know, the first the first six years are just very. The first five years are, are very good, but not great. Can't get over the hump. Can't beat Ohio State. And then it all bottoms out last year. And, and in hindsight, a lot of that is clearly because of the pandemic. Um, you know, you don't just go from nine, ten wins every year to, to to being one of the worst teams in the country, which is what they were by the end of the year. Um, and, you know, Michigan would have had every right um, to move on from Harbaugh last year uh, if they had wanted to. And then obviously gave him a humbling pay cut slash just pay in half. And, uh, and then to Harbaugh's incredible credit, he pretty much got everything right from there. You know, he made these great staff changes. He just kind of looked re-energized himself. And, you know, again, all the credit in the world to him. He puts together this, this magical year and very deserving as the, the national coach of the year. And, and here we are with, uh, with those same fans, you know, hoping he stays and, uh, and, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote too last year. I mean, I had a column as blunt as, you know, as Harbaugh continues to fail, you know, who who should be the next coach? So yep. I was certainly eating crow too, and I wrote a tongue-in-cheek apology to him. And uh, it's, um, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, now you, it's hard to argue that, I mean, Michigan would be uh, would be better off with any other coach but Harbaugh right now. Yeah, I want to come to that in a second. But what you're, you, you wrote that, that you don't necessarily buy, or at least there's a thinking that, He's just leveraging Michigan with any of these NFL rumors. Does your gut set? I, I well, I think that's a great point. I think with the right offer, he could jump. Um, sure. That seems to just be his personality, even as he kind of had his "told you so" moment this year. What's your gut say? And I know that's really a hard prediction because he can be mercurial. But what's your gut say? Stay or go? Oh, my gut definitely says stay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, I do think Harbaugh is intrigued by a return to the NFL. Um, you know, he's obviously had awesome success in the NFL his four years as the coach of the 49ers, three, three NFC championship games, the Super Bowl trip. Um, even, even when he left his final game, he got a, a Gatorade bath through his players. I mean, and that was kind of in a dysfunctional final year. So obviously very, very, very good coach in the NFL connected well with his players. Um, and I think that does intrigue him. Um, I think, New challenges always intrigue him. I mean, if you look at Jim Harbaugh's career, he's never before Michigan. He'd never really been somewhere more than four years. Yeah, I think he, I think he kind of wears himself out, and I think you know he wears people out around him. He's just kind of got a unique personality, and um, so yeah, I, I would not be surprised if he saw if he uh, if he was very tempted to leave. <clears throat> I just it just be odd timing. On the one hand, I do see the point that. Hey, look, he's finally, he would be leaving Michigan in a good place. He finally got over the Ohio State hump. He wins the Big Ten championship. Um, you know, you're, you're going out on top. And, and Michigan fans couldn't, 
couldn't be so hypocritical to want him fired last year and then to trash him for leaving the next year. They totally so could, I, I, and I, they will. Do, well, no, absolutely, that's true. That's true. They will. But I, I do see it at that point. But at the same, by the same token, it'd just be weird. You know, he keeps how many times has he said in the past few weeks? This feels like the beginning. He said he would do this job for free. And then the, the biggest thing that would be very weird is just to finally beat Ohio State your first time in seven years and you just start running your mouth like crazy, talking trash, just saying, you know, talking about Ryan Day, who obviously he perceives and, you know, maybe rightfully so, was uh, was just handed a turnkey Cadillac job. Whereas, uh, you know, maybe his Harbaugh's had to earn things more over the years, saying uh, he's born on third base, thinking he hit a triple. It'd be very strange to me to just lob that grenade and then leave. I don't know. It would just be, that would be unbecoming in, uh, in a lot of ways to me. But hey, coaches say things all the time. Um, he could, you know, Nick Saban said he's staying in Miami. And next thing you know, he's at Alabama. So I don't, I don't know what to think. My gut just tells me that he is... Um, he this season was re-energizing for him, and he is using this as leverage, not for him. I don't think he really cares what money he makes beyond. Uh, I think it's a pride thing that he wants to be, you know, up in the the top, near the top of the class. But I do think he wants, you know, assurances that greater staff pool, greater investments in other competitive areas, and just kind of commitment from Michigan to what are you going to do to help us in this new name, image, likeness era? Um, what are you going to do to what kind of NIL program are we going to have here? Because the job Harbaugh has now is very different than the one he <laughs> took over seven years ago with NIL and Transfer Portal, and I'm sure all that stuff drives him crazy. So I think he's just trying to just trying to figure out, okay, can I can I feel confident that we have the things in place that uh, that can get us to the next level? Because you know, for as much as far as they came this year, they're still not really close to Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia's level. And I know it's crazy to say they're not at Ohio State's level considering they just it's kick not. their ass. But, but they're not. I mean, it's, it, any team can – that what happened this year should happen in a rivalry game. I mean, look, Auburn beats Alabama all the time, and Auburn's not anywhere near close to Michigan. Um, so, you know, Michigan still has a ways to go to get on Ohio State's level in terms of consistently competing for national titles. So. I, I, We'll see. I've always said that. That was one of the reasons why I kind of had a little disdain for Michigan fans and why they were so upset that Harbaugh was only like a nine. How dare he be a nine or ten win coach? There's a different stratosphere with those teams that you just mentioned. I'll even put Georgia in there after their success and their their title now. Um, Michigan was in a different tier, maybe top ten, probably closer to top 15, and they never came to the expectation settlement that, like, Penn State fans did. Um, but we can come back to that because I want to stick with the Harbaugh thing for one thing. Um, the, the, the NIL um, facilities and how they can get to another level. You named a lot of things, which is why if I were a Michigan fan and I am I am apologizing for all the, the tweets I sent to Harbaugh to, to fire him for the last how many ever years, I'm not resting until the very last NFL job is hired because... Maybe he doesn't want to deal with NIL. Maybe he doesn't want to deal with transfer portal. Um, he is mercurial, and it's I don't know when when you're the kind of person who always wants a new challenge. I don't think he's at the age yet where he's ready to settle into that forever job. I think he can make one more hop, and there are some intriguing jobs out there that could appeal to him where he's got some some relationships. And uh, I don't believe Stephen Ross for two seconds. Like I realize he wants to support his his alma mater, Michigan, but somebody might get in his ear and go, hello, you can always fund them and give them all the money you want, but you could win a Super Bowl and put Miami back on the NFL map. And he could go, hmm, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, no question. I, I thought it was interesting, too, that Stephen Ross would, would come out so publicly and say, we're not going to, we're not interested in Jim Harbaugh. We're not going to be the team that takes him away from his alma mater, or from, which obviously Stephen Ross is a, you know, huge donor. Um, yeah, and first of all, you wouldn't be taking Jim Harbaugh away if Harbaugh's if Harbaugh's interested in the NFL. You know that'll be up to him, and he's clearly he's clearly put out these signals that he is interested. Um, yeah, I, I just I think it'll be fascinating. I mean, I, I, there 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 are challenges on on both ends. I, he would I see him embracing the challenge of return to the NFL, but I also don't think he thinks his work is done at Michigan. There's that 
there's that huge challenge of just getting Michigan to that next level. I mean, that game against Georgia was a had to be an eye opener, you know, for yep. just the the difference in speed and and size, and especially on that defense um, of what it's going to take to get to the next level. And and I've always said, I mean, I don't think you, you look at everything Michigan has. I mean, you, you go back to the it's hard to remember, but you you go back to the '90s and, and Michigan was Michigan was what. Looking at the national scale, I mean, Michigan was one of the IT programs. It was yep. way cooler at a national level than Ohio State. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you got the – even today, I mean, you got the, the biggest stadium in the country. You got an unmatched war chest. You've got the, the helmet, the, the iconic fight song, um, the – you know, all the, all the tradition in the world. I mean, there's – and what can separate them is they are the – is their, you know, their national academic reputation. So you can kind of uh, – if they're – our kids, five stars that are huge on academics, you can sell them as you're the place to go. You know, maybe them and Notre Dame and, and Stanford was that way a little while ago. But Michigan just has, has so many advantages. And with Harbaugh's, you know, alleged charisma and, and his, his pedigree and his, his – um, I just see no reason why they can't contend to annually recruit top five classes like Ohio State. I know Ohio State has the advantage of being in, you know, the talent-rich backyard. So you're going to get six, seven guys right off the top in your backyard that are just kind of a given that are going to come into your class. But no reason no reason Michigan can't, you know, be a, a national recruiting power under Jim Harbaugh. So I would be – I think he does see a challenge of, of taking Michigan to the next level, and, and maybe this momentum helps. But, yeah, I, I think it will be interesting. My gut strongly says he will stay. And, um, and uh, you know, and you just saw the longtime Notre Dame coach uh, leave to, to join Michigan, a Michigan staff. I don't know if he would do that without assurances that uh, – but who knows? I don't know. College I football just, is utterly soulless and completely unethical. Right. <laughs> um, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Let me get a quick answer uh, from you on this because I want to go back to, and you've already started how Michigan can get to what I call tier one. Let's hit. Let's break the glass and hit the red button. Let's say he leaves. Who in the world do they get to fill that position? Because everybody that they might want to go after is gone. Who would Michigan get? Yeah, to coach that that to lead that program. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, and I've heard. I've heard some people speculate that you know maybe they would maybe they would go the the route of, you know, that Oklahoma did with Lincoln Riley or or uh, or Ryan Day at Ohio State or even Davos Swinney at Clemson and, and go in house and promote Josh Gaddis, you know, the offensive coordinator who was the national assistant coach of the year. Or maybe, I've even heard Mike Hart. Um, he's certainly <laughs> a, a a very you know certainly regarded in all circles as a rising star in the profession and very well liked at Michigan. I would just be stunned at his age and not being a yeah. coordinator to being there uh, to rise up. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it would, I think the two, the two obvious names would be Luke Fickle and Matt Campbell and Matt Campbell's shine has come off a little bit this year after, uh, after, um, you know, going seven and six, starting the year, um, starting the season in the top 10, um, you know, I still think he's one of the top 10, 15 coaches in the country. He's the best coach in Iowa, modern Ohio, Iowa State history. You know, he's had several consecutive um, winning seasons in the Big 12 with, with next to, to no resources and competing with the big boys there. So I think it would be fascinating to see what a coach like Matt Campbell could do with the resources um, and uh, and kind of institutional might behind him like he would at Michigan. Luke Fickle would be the really interesting one. I just... A lot of people just kind of say, yeah, I think he would take the job at Michigan as if like uh, the Michigan's just a, another piece of laundry in this soulless coaching journey. I, and, and generally speaking, it doesn't really matter where you went to school, but I would just have a really hard time seeing Luke Fickle, of all people, going to a place that he spent his entire life you know, trying to beat and uh, in a sporting context, hating. I mean, he grew up in Columbus. He went to Ohio State, coached at Ohio State as an assistant for a million years where every day of the year, I mean, I don't think there's any program in the country that treats their rivalry game bigger than Ohio State. I mean, there's, and that's kind of been the criticism of Michigan among their fans a little bit too. Are you taking this as seriously as, as Ohio State is where it's uh, it's a, it's just an all-consuming thing, probably to an unhealthy degree. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if Luke Fickle could just say, you know what, I'm going to go to Michigan and I'm going to devote my life to beating Ohio State. I just, I just don't see it, even though it would be a great fit for him. 
um, on the surface. So I think Fickle and Campbell would be the obvious choices. But yeah, I'd be. I don't know who you would go to from there. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that Luke Fickle's name doesn't get brought up more when big job openings happen. And you know far more than I do, but that just kind of puts my antenna up. And I know that, you know, we do these rotating chairs of Lincoln Riley to USC and all that stuff. And Luke Fickle isn't on that level. And maybe some teams, the Charlie Strong stuff and some of the smaller schools that have... um, gotten coaches to other programs and it hasn't really worked out. Maybe Luke Fickle gets labeled by that, but his name hasn't come up when these job openings are out there. And that's a little surprising to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's, it certainly came up with Notre Dame and that seemed like a very, very strong possibility, but again, Notre Dame went the in-house route with Marcus Freeman. We'll see how that works, but Luke Fickle has been very selective. He's had opportunities. I think he's very much Midwestern to the core. And I think it would, it would take like a, a very, a Notre Dame or a, a Penn State, Ohio State. I mean, he's, he's just the obvious candidate to be the next guy at Ohio State yep. if, uh, if Day ever were to leave. And, hey, maybe Day leaves for the NFL and Harbaugh stays. Who knows? But, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think there's only three or four jobs that, that Fickle would, would seriously leave for, especially as Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati's going into the Big 12. He loves it there. He's got a big family. Um, he's really uh, – you don't have the same pressure as some of these schools. He's getting paid well. I mean, he's he's got it pretty good. I mean, this isn't this isn't a mid-major school anymore. He has uh, a, the kid from St. John's too. I, is he going to play next year? Do you know off the top of the head who that kid was? I can't remember. Oh yeah, Brady Lichtenberg. The quarterback. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, it'll um, be interesting. I mean, I, I don't know where he is in the mix. I know they uh, I know they certainly liked him. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I. I I guess we'll, uh, Desmond Ritter, their star quarterback, will be gone. So, yeah, Brady Lichtenberg will certainly have his chance to impress uh, in this offseason. All right, so a super juicy question. Um, take me back to January of last year. Um, what... I thought you were going to ask if Toledo should hire Urban Meyer, but okay. I'm going that direction. Now, <laughs> let me preface this by saying I think he is completely and utterly detestable, but he is a problem. He is a symptom of the larger problem of... Again, the toxicity and the cesspool that is college sports. Um, take me back to January of last year, and when you found out that Edward Meyer was taking a job with the Jaguars, your thoughts at the time were? I was very conflicted. I thought, <laughs> I thought, uh, I thought he. I was obviously wrong. I thought he had a good chance to be successful, only because. I knew he was gonna he was gonna have to adapt his style. It was gonna have to be very. I mean, Urban Meyer is just. He wins, you know, his biggest strengths has been building a culture at the college level and recruiting. And I don't know if, obviously recruiting is not, is not, uh, is not really an asset in the NFL. And I don't know if his way of building a culture with, uh, you know, the coaches, the coaches God and just kind of, you know, just, just uh, wearing these guys down was going to, or, you know, building the toughest team in the country was going to work at the, at the pro level. I think a lot of people, a lot of the Jacksonville players kind of rolled their eyes at, at Urban Meyer. And, uh, you know, for all the success he had in college, he hadn't done anything in the NFL. So, I mean, when he's saying these rah-rah slogans and talking about uh, the military and, and everything, I just think there's a lot of uh, eye-rolling. And, and it just uh, – yeah, I don't know. I thought, I thought he was going to be able to evolve. I thought he was going to hire a good staff. I thought he was set up to succeed – in terms of uh, you know the draft positioning, certainly remains a, an, an awesome opening given where they uh, stand and having Trevor Lawrence. But yeah, I thought he had a chance to succeed if he evolved because I thought he or I thought he would evolved, but obviously he didn't. He was the same kind of just didn't work at the pro level. It was just yeah, pretty uh, pretty cut and dry. I've never thought highly of him because I I kind of thought what he has done was was squirrely and, and a bit cowardly running from the programs when when problems arose most recently uh with his assistant who was in the domestic situation with his wife and he was kind of clueless about it. Like it, it really, it really bothered me. Um, so I rooted for him to fail. I can do that because I am not a columnist like you are. Um, I can be less objective. And I knew that I, I, I didn't think he would succeed because a lot of his games were 58 to 10 with the exception of a handful of games per year. And you're going to have to fight for every yard in the NFL. Now I'm not saying he's a bad football coach, but he will have to, coach differently and this has nothing to do with how I thought he would deal with going from recruiting to 
men who were getting paid and how he would treat people. Like, I don't even know if I buy some of the stuff that he was yelling at assistant coaches. Like, I just didn't think he was going to be a good NFL coach between the end zones. I I knew for certain, like I would have bet my life savings that it was definitely going to fail when he hired hired the Ottawa the Iowa strength coach who had just gotten fired for um for basically like racist and bad social behavior. Like he didn't know that something like that wasn't going to go over well in the NFL and to ha- to have those kind of blinders and then the uh, the dancing incident. I'm like, this is nuts. Like. All, and you could have kept your job. All you had to do is keep some of these things off the internet. But it's he went from being, like you said, a god at Ohio State to where, I mean, these are a different kind of eyes on you all the time. These are not like hateful, mazing blue eyes. These are people who write about this for a living with their eyes on you. And you have to be on your best behavior. And people are not going to cover up for you anymore, as they may or may not have done in Ohio State. Rant over. <laughs> sure. I think the coaching point is 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 really uh, well taken too. I mean, in terms of you know, by the end he was not really an X's and O's guys at Ohio State. He was, uh, you know, he fashioned himself as a culture builder and, and a recruiter. You know, you look at you you go back to Bowling Green and his time at Utah. I mean, he was ahead of the game with the the spread offense, and he he had an absolutely huge schematic advantage. Um, you know, he comes in and immediately has success at Bowling Green with probably less talent than a lot of the other schools in the MAC. So. If you had the the Urban Meyer who was ahead of the game 20 years ago going to the NFL, you know, maybe it would have worked. But now he was very much, his offense was kind of getting stayed at Ohio State. That's why they brought in Ryan Day. Um, he was, uh, yeah, it was just, he wasn't going to get it done purely on football alone. My only belief was just that, hey, he's won everywhere. He's a winner. He's a pretty smart guy. He'll figure it out. Obviously he didn't. Um, last couple of questions because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm running out of my time and I appreciate your time. Um, if you were a college football czar, pick your sport, whatever, wherever your passion is, <clears throat> you're the commissioner, you're the czar, you get to implement uh, one, one rule that is, is sensible. Uh, you can't make people run the wrong, wrong ba- the different way on the bases in baseball. But one sensible rule change across the sports landscape, what would it be? Um, it's a good question. Talking about the playoffs, too obvious. Uh, I would, I would, uh, I would get rid of these four-hour games. I would, I would go to the, I would make college football go to the NFL, the NFL uh, clocks, clock timing system. I would, uh, I mean, how great is it that all NFL games are like two fifty-five, and then you're watching a Ohio State Rutgers game, and it's like four hours and five minutes with ten replay reviews and a million commercials and the clock stopping after every play almost. I would go to no, no first, no, uh, no stop the clock after first downs. Uh, I would keep the clock running after incompletions. Uh, I know that would, that's not an NFL rule, but I would just, I would just keep the clock running, get these games under three hours, bring some sanity back to things. And, uh, and, uh, and you know what, it would reduce the number of plays and, and for everybody talking about uh, you know football safety, maybe you'd be able to have an extra game or two at the end of the season with an expanded playoff because you'd uh, you'd be having you know maybe a quarter of the plays each game. So I just I'd say let's uh, if I was running for president of the to replace Biden, I would demand uh, quicker college football games. <laughs> it, okay, so now for a less sensible one with unicorns and pie in the sky, what would be the rule change you would make? Um, and again, it would be far less sensible, more imaginative that you would implement across the sports landscape. <laughs> That's a good question. I'd have to think about that for a second. Well, then tweet. Come. we can skip it. You can tweet me back at it. But yeah, I All figured right. it free. So well, I'll wrap up with the ones I, I really like asking everybody. Tell me something or a couple of things um, that aren't Paco's or Mud Hens games that you love about here where we live. And then I need your favorite restaurant. So you can get a lot of hate mail with that. <laughs> Favorite things about Toledo, I mean, I would start with the Metro Parks. I mean, I go to them every day. I live in Maumee by the uh, by the rec center. Um, but, you know, I just love exploring the Metro Parks. I think it's just an absolute, you know, growing up in Cleveland, they had a good Metro Park system too, but it's 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 doesn't it's nothing like Toledo's. Um, and just traveling across the country for my job, it truly is a it truly is a jewel. This is not this is not usual to have uh, this quality of parks. I mean, every day I'm at Wildwood or Sidecut or Swan Creek or or uh, or everything. So truly a jewel. Um, 
and that's one of my favorite parts of Toledo. Favorite restaurant. Um, that's, uh, God, there's, um, how about you want me to just stick with like favorite pizza place? Yeah. Well, favorite pizza place, home You're, slice for sure. Really? I'm a big home slice fan. I'm not, but okay. Um, but, um, <coughs> let's see. Uh, no, there's not a the, lot of great, there's a lot of great pizza places. Being love, from, being a mommy person, I thought you might say the idiot. I love village idiot. Love, uh, love, uh, fifth street pub, Perrysburg. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, Stubborn Brothers, great. I might, yes. I might Stubborn Brothers right in the mix there. I love yeah. Stubborn Brothers. That's East Coast pizza. For sure. No question. Uh, all right. Uh, really the last question this time. What's your favorite thing to write about? Favorite thing to write about? Probably yeah. co- college football, but I don't... Um, um, trying to think. Yeah, I don't know. Juicy college football scandals involving our local team. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> always, are, always uh, oh, no, I don't. I do not want scandals with our teams. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, just kind of anything, anything college football related that uh, that kind of, uh, you know, if there's a good drama with with Toledo or BG or or uh, or even or even great news. I mean, uh, you know, would have been my favorite thing to write about this year would have been if Toledo had beaten Notre Dame. I think that would have yes. been just, uh, the coolest, uh, one of the coolest things ever. And uh, but alas, was not to be. Art. Uh, Arguably, maybe that game and people like me pumping them up for a, a like a really respectable performance on national TV is maybe what you know those kids reading too many of their headlines. I, know. I, actually, I actually have another question. Well, I um, voted. I voted for them in the top twenty-five after that game. Got a got had to eat a lot of crow after that one for sure. What's what's the the um, athletic? And I know they're getting a new athletic director. Um, I know that there are some pretty critical people of Jason Candle. Um, where does he sit as the UT head football coach as far as like support in, in the community from alumni? And again, I know there's a new incoming athletic director, but where does he stand? Because it was hard to follow up after Matt Campbell. And I, I think if I'm correct here, um, Candle's best years were with some of uh, Campbell's residual players. So where does he stand? Because the program has kind of been mediocre the last half, uh, disappointing the last few years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Jason Candle is very much an approve it year in terms of uh, yeah, in terms of keeping his job. You're right. This is he's been here six years. He'll be going into his seventh year. His first two years were very good with you know Logan Woodside, Kareem Hunt. They uh, his second year they win the MAC, um, and uh, and credit to him, they did that. Matt Campbell didn't. Um, you know that was the Toledo's first MAC title since 2017. But ever since then, it's just kind of like you said, just kind of been pretty mediocre, stagnant. They have they've had good players. They just kind of, for whatever reasons, have had injuries and inconsistency and lack of discipline, and just kind of hasn't really come together. Um, and uh, yeah, this this year was the third six loss season, third straight six loss season, um, not factoring in the the pandemic year. Um, so yeah, it's very much. Uh, he's got two years left on his contract. Um, I think he needs to have a, a good season um, to, to continue on. I think that's fair. Um, you know, honestly, he would, he would probably he would probably tell you the same. Um, yeah. they, they do look like they have a the good thing for, for everybody is they, they could be very good next year. Um, they'll we'll then have a good defense. They have a, a rising quarterback in Daquan Finn who they believe in. Um, so We'll see. I think uh, I think they've they've got a chance to be good, but absolutely they need to you know they probably need to be eight and four or better for uh, for Candle to continue on and very doable. But absolutely the pressure's on. Well, they'll be zero and one against Ohio State. I, I know that's like their third game of the year, but they're not going to win that one. Just right. don't just don't get beat sixty eight to seven. Right, right. <laughs> awesome. Well, this was great. I'm glad we could finally chat and uh, and and talk about you and what you do, but also uh, dig into some, some some sports stuff as well because you've got great insight when it comes to the college football landscape. And obviously, as we know, um, many people's days go good or bad based on uh, you know if, if Harbaugh does leave, there's going to be a lot of tears that you're going to have to uh, address. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, David. It was good to chat, and uh, we'll connect soon, okay? Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Look forward to it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.